Hi, I'm Neil Patel, host of Decoder, my show about big ideas and other problems. Right now on Decoder, we're doing a mini-series about one of the biggest ideas that's creating some of the biggest problems around, generative AI. Our series dives deep into some of the most pressing issues surrounding generative AI, with expert Verge reporters covering the cutting-edge frontier of the industry. How could copyright lawsuits completely upend large language models and image generators? How big a problem is AI-generated misinformation for the 2024 election? And what kind of impact are AI chatbots having on human relationships? Decoder's AI series will help you understand what's going on, why, and where it might go from here. Tune in every Monday and Thursday for new episodes of Decoder wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Talking About Podcast. I am your host, as always, Daniel Olinger, joined by Sean Kennedy. And Sean, we know what's on the people's minds, like we always do. I had a tweet that went semi-viral, so I that, that's what we're going to talk about the whole entire <laughs> time today. I, I must have missed that. What was the tweet? So during the national championship in which... Baylor defeated Gonzaga like that was already like most people thought Gonzaga would win but not only did Baylor win Baylor just beat the crap out of them and uh basically like the, you know the scene in the in Pocahontas where they say like the the tribe says uh, these white men are dangerous so yeah. I photoshopped it said Baylor to Drew Timmy and Corey Kispert with these white men cannot defend our guards when switched on to them on the perimeter Okay, yeah, I did see that. Um, I must have saw it pre, prior to it going viral. It has is fifty three hundred <laughs> likes. I, I'm serious. I could not believe. Like, I thought it might do well. It's like before this, the most like tweet I ever had was like two hundred. So nice. But yeah, yeah, we, uh, we we both had a good social media week. Then I had a uh, my Easter tweet about. I'm going to tell my kids that this was the Easter Bunny featuring hip hop. Uh, I also got a couple thousand likes on that. So good, good on a. Uh, talking about podcast we're getting our, our cloud up yeah the, the people's podcast as they say that's right but in all seriousness what we have to talk about today is that the Sixers not only won last night against the Celtics and for what for due to some uh we'll just say scheduling difficulties we are recording on a Wednesday instead of a Thursday like usual so you'll be seeing this week's edition of the talking about pod a little earlier in your timelines but uh we can tell I'm going on vacation so. Okay, I didn't want to reveal about your personal life, man. Yeah, yeah, I, I can, I can. Yeah, I'm driving down to uh, Asheville, North Carolina, for a friend's wedding. Nice. So it's a uh, my first trip that's not just like going to my in-laws or something since the <laughs> pandemic started. So I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to breaking the uh, stir craziness a little bit. And uh, yeah, so you, you uh, readers out there will have fill-in guest columnists for the Bell Ringer. I'm gonna miss the three games upcoming and uh yeah but we'll be back at it next week with this pod uh regularly scheduled time what are the chances that seth finally gets his bell ringer <laughs> the week you're you're off i i think i would take that a little personally from seth. <laughs> like he, he had to wait till i wasn't uh analyzing the game closely to finally have his uh big bell ringer performance but it's, no I, i'd be I'd be a lot of pressure it. knowing that sean kennedy is evaluating you maybe he just gets a little nervous that's true you know there's they, they read the mentions we all know this so uh yeah I, I hope he does by the end of the season at least so if he gets it in the next three games uh all the better yeah but in all seriousness we'll finally get into the game that happened last night 
the Sixers not only beat the Celtics, they embarrassed them. Like it, it, the final score read 106 to 96. It might as well have been 166 to 96 because the Celtics, like after that second quarter run, like it felt like they never had a chance. Like I did not feel so. I couldn't watch the game live, but I had it like recorded, so I didn't see any. And I made sure to stay off like devices, so I didn't see the result until like so. I got to watch the whole thing like you know without it having it spoiled. And even as the Celtics kind of made a tiny bit of a push in the fourth quarter, I thought they never had a chance. It just there was no answer for them for Joel Embiid, and it was delightful to see. Yeah, it's the same old story with Sixers Celtics where. They don't have any possible way to slow Joel down. Uh, Time Lord is their new starting center, but he is not the answer. He's too small up against Joel, and he got in a quick foul trouble. He eventually fouled out early in the fourth quarter. Uh, I think he played something like 13 minutes before fouling out. Um, they, they threw Luke Cornette out there, which was very comical. It's, it's uh, a bold, that's a bold strategy, Cotton. <laughs> I, I, I understood the the thinking in that, okay, he can stretch the floor, so offensively that should help us. Maybe it draws Joel out, and he's not in there to guard the paint, and some of our driving lanes open up. Uh, so I got it from that perspective, but <laughs> him trying to guard Joel one-on-one was one of the funniest things I've ever seen on the basketball court. Joel basically like it looked like a teen movie where he grabbed Luke Cornette by the collar and shoved him in a locker. That was the level of dominance with Joel just uh, stuffing the ball through the rim while Cornette basically watched And it was, and then uh, they actually went to taco fall, which was, you know, taco is not a guy that really sees the court that often. And that was like the break glass in case of emergency from Brad Stevens and yeah, Taka wasn't the answer either. So the glass was broken for no good reason. <laughs> yeah. the, uh, the next emergency, they, they won't have any recourse. Um, but yeah, so Joel got to the line 20 times, 20 attempts at the free throw line. Uh, he scored 35 points, made it look really easy. And once the Celtics stopped their hot shooting from three, which was keeping them in the game early, uh, once that slowed down, there was it really felt like the Sixers were just cruising the rest of the way. And they, they literally were, it was never within single digits the entire second half. So just a nice, uh, calm, uh, stress-free victory to complete a season sweep over your biggest rival. Like doesn't get much better than that. Yeah. I'm someone who really likes Robert Williams partially. Cause I just, I love the nickname, the time Lord so much. It's fantastic. It's and... a good one. I mean, he is, he does have some really good passing skills for a big and he's super athletic. And I think he is going to be good. He was not ready for Joel, just way too foul happy. But yeah, then you look at it again, like they didn't, this is why I understand why they made the Daniel Tice trade to get under the tax line when you're, they basically looked at their team this year and said, you know, we're going to have to kind of rebuild, we're going to have to like restock our deck here because besides Tatum, Kemba, I mean, Tatum, Jalen Brown, and maybe Kemba, like this team, you know, I throw Marcus Smart in there too. This team is not ready to win a title this year, so they have to look forward down the line. But like, there's a reason the Sixers lost in the playoffs to the Celtics last year. A big part was that Ben Simmons was out, but also like, I mean, Daniel Tice isn't a Joel Embiid stopper, but I didn't feel like, oh, Embiid has Tice on him. He's just going to feast right now. Like, 
Daniel Tice is a good player. Daniel Tice, despite being undersized, is very quick, very smart, knows how to use his physicality, has good timing with his hands. Like that that's one guy where I'm like, you know, I do not see Daniel Tice and Joel. Like, if I'm Joel and being see Daniel Tice on the scouting report, I'm like, okay, well, here's what I have to do. Like, here's how I'm gonna score. You see the this list of Celtics bigs, and you're just like, oh, I, I can do whatever I want. Yeah, it's the difference between Joel having certain things that he's going to try and do to be successful and Joel just saying, I can do whatever I want and be successful. Um, yeah, the first of all, it's embarrassing whenever a team lets financial constraints get in the way of putting their most successful roster forward. Um, so I just want to get that out of the way before I say that when they made that the Tice move to get rid of him to get under the luxury tax, their calculation in their mind was we're not a contender this year. So let's save this money. And the only downside, because there's really no, it's, it's title or nothing. We're not, we're not getting the titles. We're not really worried about the on court implications too much. The downside is in two years, is Jason Tatum going to remember this and not want to resign here? Is that going to hurt our standing with our young stars to the point that, Oh, this franchise isn't in it to win. Um, so that, and they could, the next two years, they could do everything they can to put their best foot forward and show them they are committed to winning. And this won't even cross their mind again, but that, that is the only potential downside in their mind. So it's definitely hurts them now because they don't have Tice as an option who, as you said, is a very good player. Uh, he, unlike Cornette, He's also a stretch five, but he can actually hold his own somewhat against Joel. He's a bigger body and he can actually move laterally. Yeah. So he's a, you know, serviceable option against MB defensively. He's obviously not one of the best defensive centers in the league, but he's fine. And then offensively, he gives you that floor spacing ability and he's a decent passer. So that, that goes along with the thinking of trying to draw Joel out of the paint. So yeah, that now they just have no option against Joel, and uh, we saw the result on uh, Tuesday night. No, we didn't. Uh, other things to mention from that game. Um, I mean, Danny Green right now is. Ever since we had our, our weirdness podcast with AU, man, Danny Green has just been on a tear. It feels like every time he's shooting from three, it's going in five, six from three last night. His only other bucket being that bizarre inbounds turnover from the Celtics where Marcus Smart just dropped it right into his lap and he got a layup off of it. I think people, the stat they were showing is that like since all-star break, he's shooting around 50 something percent for three. Yeah. It's like 54% over his last 10 games and uh, on seven attempts per game, Jeez. which is awesome. It, it is very awesome. He, Danny's playing great right now. Looking really good. Danny green was trending on Twitter last night for positive reasons. Like that <laughs> never happens. It, it happens more frequent, more and more frequently. I'll say that he's he's having a really good season. Um, I I forget who it was on Twitter, but somebody was basically commenting that in the off season, Danny was viewed as the like throw in wing that we got just to kind of get rid of Horford's contract, whereas Seth Curry was seen as the big acquisition that would really help the shooting and you know do a lot of things offensively for the team. And it kind of feels like it flipped. It kind of feels like Danny is the uh, the main shooting wing threat now and Seth is just kind of the uh the secondary afterthought when it comes to those two well they do a lot of different things because like Danny is again prototypical he will give you threes he will give you 
he will give you I, I mean I've criticized his on ball defense before but he still gives you good defense like he's very strictly three and d Seth Curry does a little bit like Seth can attack off the dribble occasionally or when teams like chase over against him he's not a bad passer but then also defensively Seth is again not the worst defender in the world but not a strength on defense pretty much due to his size and lack of like elite burst so uh, they they're very different players in that sense just wondering off the top of my head who would you say is so let's say you're saying the Sixers best players this season Joel's obviously number one I would say Tobias is yeah. two yeah Ben's been so awful post all-star yeah. break that ben, I would put Tobias back out of him yeah Ben three who would you have for Seth or Danny if it is one of those two I would say Danny yeah that's kind of my point is that I think Danny's been more impactful this season Whereas going into the season, everyone, I think, pretty unanimously would have said Seth would have had the more impactful season. Hmm. Well, sir, you're incorrect because the cor- the correct answer was Paul Reed. <laughs> I, I thought we meant on court. If are you talking about like in the hearts and minds of Sixers fans? Because well, obviously, that Paul- and like I, whatever per you have to get into per forty eight per forty eight hundred whatever it has to be. I'm sure Paul leads in that because. He definitely leads in coolest blocks per 48 because, oh man, that I love that at the end of the game that he just decided to absolutely smother that one. I can't remember which Celtic player shot it. Someone went in for a layup and Paul Reed recovered, just sent that thing flying out of bounds and then just kind of like mean mugged him after that. I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that, that something Paul Reed did isn't amazing. Um, he does lead the team in G League MVPs. So that's, that's, exactly. uh, that's another think- metric you want to look at. Doesn't that mean he technically leads the team in MVP awards total at the moment? He does, yeah. So I don't know. I, yeah, I, I can't argue with you then. B Ball Paul, friend of Liberty Baller, is it? Yeah. 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 We'll quickly plug that. Uh, if you haven't listened to the Gastro Blues pod yet, they had B Ball Paul himself on for an interview, which was fantastic to hear. So make sure you all go check that out yeah. right away. Get all your Paul Reed content there on the Liberty Ballers Podcast Network. I love Paul Reed so much, man. I, I like all our rookies so much. Like, even if they're not, because especially it helps that the team's so good that you don't, we don't have to like worry about like, oh, why aren't they getting better or why aren't they seeing more playing time? Because, yeah. you know, there's not, no, none of that like where they need to be good right now. Yeah. So, it it certainly helps that they're not 500 and we're all angry at Maxi for not playing better or something. Yeah. The fact that they're in first and, the the rookies can just kind of like fill in and every once in a while they have a good game and you're like oh that was fun but it doesn't really matter on a night-to-night basis mm-hmm. it, it certainly helps yeah yeah i still love isaiah joe and he he's not a rookie but new to the sixers i rajon tucker during that one so when the grizzlies beat down the sixers earlier this week like that was a very just upsetting game it felt like the sixers came out completely unready and just were not into it from the start Grayson Allen made a ton of threes, and that was basically it. The Sixers bench almost got back into the game, and one was just, man, Rayshon Tucker can get up. That dude has some springs at his feet. I have Rayshon Tucker thoughts, which I'm going to share in my Fast Five new segment that we're doing Ooh. later. So, yes. Yes, we are going to be trying out some new segments, one from each of us later in this pod. Uh, actually, you know, is that something we want to do right now? Do you just want to go straight into that? Yeah, we can do that. So yeah, Dave Ewing, this is if you guys do not know, Sean's handle on Twitter is at Philly Fast Break. So Sean each week is now gonna have I don't Sean's Fast Five. Is that what we're calling it? 
Yeah, sure. That's, you know, in, in honor of the late, great Paul Walker. Also, we can call it the fast five. Um, yeah, so it's just going to be five quick little stats or observations or whatever you want to want to term them. Um, but yeah, one of them was Rajon Tucker. And I included in my game recap, it looked like he had flubber attached to the bottom of his shoes. Um, how dated is there? Do you understand when I'm talking about the basketball flubber connection? Do you do you get the reference or is that too I'm early? Sorry, I do not, but I did I did find it funny. It was kind of one of those like I assumed it was funny, so I laughed along. Okay. Well, yeah, it was the ninety-seven Robin Williams flubber movie. They have yeah. a, a whole scene where he basically rubs trace amounts of flubber on the the basket the basketball team like on their shoes and uh shakes their hand and gets it on their hands so they were the team that like never won a game and suddenly they're bouncing all over the gym and dunking on people um but yeah rajon tucker looks like that uh i i looked up some of his past exploits he he has a 48 inch vertical he was which yeah that's that just jumps off the page at you if you if you read 48 inch vertical um in 2015 he was in the high school dunk contest he came in second. Derek Jones Jr. came in first. N- no shame there. Third place. So Ray John Tucker beat this person, which I know Sixers fans will love. Third place was Donovan Mitchell. So Ray John Tucker, better dunker than Donovan Mitchell. Take that, Jazz. We have another one on you. Print the shirts. Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, so that, that was one. Uh, another one. Dwight Howard. Good some games makes you shake your head a lot in some other games had a goaltend over the weekend i was i just had to know how often does dwight howard goaltend he's actually second in the league in goaltends right now he's tied with mitchell robinson with 10 james wiseman leads the league with 11 goaltends so that dwight howard so second in goaltend. That, that list makes so much sense it does like, just intuitively if you asked me like to guess i would probably would have gone with like those three yeah, and Wiseman's played like 18 fewer games than Howard, and so the fact that he's one ahead of Dwight, I, I can't say I've watched a lot of Golden State, but I, I imagine Golden State fans are very frustrated I, with... I, I watched Warriors-Bucks this morning to catch up on some stuff. Um, the Warriors look a lot better whenever Wiseman's not on the court, and he is a rookie. He just turned 20. Not Definitely not saying he's done. I also tweeted out today what my first two like all-rookie teams would be. Um he was not in my top 12. I think he might be good one day. I, I just don't, I, it's not a Warriors podcast. So <laughs> it's tough with young big men, young big men. The, the, the school of thought is that big men take longer to adjust to the NBA game than, than cards do. So it's, it's not it's unexpected. Imagine just being some random NBA fan for some reason, checking out a Sixer podcast and now back to back weeks, I've gone after DeAndre and then James Wiseman. I am attacking young bigs who are not producing. <laughs> You're coming for them. Exactly. All right. So that was, that was number two. Uh, number three, we saw a lot of Ben Simmons post-ups recently, not all of them super successful. I just wanted to uh, check where the Sixers are. They are leading the league in most post-up possessions at, almost 11 per game, 10.9 per game. So that's not unexpected. And of course, uh, in large part, thanks to Joel and also Tobias, I would say, they're fourth best in points per possession on post-ups at 1.03. That doesn't really look great when you're thinking about points per possession in general, but you got to think the post-ups are happening when the 
half court has bogged down. You don't really have a better option. So that's still pretty good offense, I would say. It, it's it's acceptable. It's definitely not bad, I would think. Right. Um, all right, that's three. Four, uh, Sixers are awesome in the clutch this year. They're they're leading the league in winning percentage in clutch games. They're 20 and six in such games. Um, so best in the league in clutch. Uh, I think that kind of speaks to Tobias. Tobias has been the closer all season long. And uh, we saw last week he had a, a big game where he was he was the closer. I think uh, this is a big departure from the past when I think a lot of people put this on Brett Brown's shoulders. There was always the, oh, you know, didn't make the late game adjustments and they, they lost a lot of uh, games down the stretch that people thought they would win. They're actually best in the league now, so... I think that goes to Tobias being being the closer, and I, uh, I you got to give credit to Doc Rivers for. Uh, I think he's been a little more flexible in his late game lineups, where if uh, we talked a lot about Danny having a great year, but there's have been games where he's been completely off, but Doc hasn't been afraid to bench him and put in Shake or someone else that's having a really good game. Uh, so I think that's credit to Doc there. No, there's definitely like I mean it's great that the team's winning that many close games. The other side of it is that they're in a lot of close games that shouldn't be close games playing sub 500 or around 500 teams and, you know, letting them back in the game, not just blowing them out where it's like, like I, I, I remember correctly, like, I don't think the like prime golden state warriors had incredible clutch records, but that's partially because they almost were never in clutch games. They were basically just killing everyone like, which is kind of preferable, but it is still nice to see that, like you said, just I can't believe we're at the point of both Joel and Tobias where Joel will like drive, like he'll take one dribble to his right and fade for like a 17 footer on the baseline. I think, oh, that's going in. Or Tobias will back someone down for eight seconds, turn over his shoulder, fading at some weird angle. And again, I think when it leaves his hand, like that's probably going in. It's just amazing. That's what where we're at right now. They, they're truly the masters of the mid range. And I, I feel great about it. Yeah, you're right. You just feel so confident when those shots go up. Um, it's a nice feeling. All right. So uh, number five, uh, just Joel's free throws in general. Um, it came to mind because of that amazing post-game interview he had with Reggie Miller, where Reggie was trying to compliment him for going 16 for 20 from the line. Mm -hmm. And Joel was just immediately like, oh, that's not good. I got to shoot 90%. I'm pissed. Like I didn't, <laughs> I, I love that. I love, um, also I wanted to note that, uh, my wife who was watching the game with me, not a huge Joel person, like doesn't, doesn't like his, uh, his braggadocious stuff that really turns her off. Um, but absolutely loved his comment about free throw shooting. She's very much a, you got to make your free throws. And if you don't make your free throws, then what good are you on a basketball court kind of mentality? Like one of well, those people. Well, you should just tell her about Andre Drummond then, and then she can bond with Joel Embiid over a mutual <laughs> dislike of Drummond. I'm, I'm sure if she knew Andre Drummond and his game, she would absolutely hate it, hate him. So, but yeah, that, that was great. And then uh, the stat muse stat came up on Twitter that, Embiid at 11.8 free throws per game is only behind Shaq and Wilt in NBA history for free throws per game in a season. So that's uh, pretty incredible. It's nice to have your star player get such hyper-efficient offense like that. Um, it's makes it a lot easier to 
have success on the offensive end. So good for Joel, striving for better, but what he's doing right now is pretty awesome too. Hi, I'm Neil Patel, host of Decoder, my show about big ideas and other problems. Right now on Decoder, we're doing a mini series about one of the biggest ideas that's creating some of the biggest problems around, generative AI. Our series dives deep into some of the most pressing issues surrounding generative AI, with expert Verge reporters covering the cutting-edge frontier of the industry. How could copyright lawsuits completely upend large language models and image generators? How big a problem is AI-generated misinformation for the 2024 election? And what kind of impact are AI chatbots having on human relationships? Decoder's AI series will help you understand what's going on, why, and where it might go from here. Tune in every Monday and Thursday for new episodes of Decoder wherever you get your podcasts. Support for this podcast comes from Smartwater. Life moves pretty fast. Are you drinking water that can keep up? Smartwater Alkaline has everything you need to stay hydrated, no matter where your day takes you. Whether you're pitching a tent or your next big idea, Smartwater Alkaline can help you perform your best. It delivers a pure, crisp taste that makes it the perfect chaser after a big workout. Elevate how you hydrate and pick up a Smartwater Alkaline today. To learn more, visit drinksmartwater.com. Well, that was a great way to debut Sean's Fast Five. And we'll just go straight into my segment because your last point basically hit what I was going to touch on. I'll go a little more in depth on it. So my segment is going to be called um, Danny's Corner in reference to the one and only Danny Green who loves those corner threes. Um, I personally, I'm fine being called Dan. I'm fine being called Daniel. I have always refused being called Danny in my life because that is my dad's actual name it's not a nickname for him his actual name is Danny and you know it's like a weird thing where I never wanted to be called it but and and to play off something that Darren Ravel once tweeted I feel bad for myself but it's tremendous content <laughs> so your dad uh, much like Jimmy Butler he's literally Danny yes <laughs> exactly okay I am not literally Danny but you know Danny Green goes that's what what it says on the stat sheet so we're just gonna roll with it like that so for my first seg- uh, ever segment of Danny's Corner, I'm going to talk about Joel's free throw shooting, but more importantly, ha- the way Joel goes about getting those free throws, it is ruthless. And I just, he is so mean to other teams in getting them. I, I love last night how it seemed like he didn't just want to beat the Celtics, he just wanted to like demoralize them from the start. Uh, like you mentioned, Taco Fall checked in. Everyone gets excited. Oh, it's Taco. Like maybe another center in the league thinks, oh, I'm just going to try and bang into him, you know, because it's it's kind of like it's like waving the red flag in front of the bull. Here's the 7-5 dude. Can you go post up on him? Joel, first possession down when Taco checks in, catches the ball in the mid post. What is Taco? Taco has size on him, but what he doesn't have is he has much less experience and he is not nearly as quick. Taco puts his hand near Joel. Joel rises up, gets the foul call right away, two free throws. I'm not sure how many centers in the league are as smart or willing to just always go to that. He has never felt bad about being a foul drawing master. You know, like I feel like there's a lot of built in like sentiment that, oh, these centers have to be tough. They have to back down every time. They have to do this. They have to do this. And Joel just realizes if these guys put their arms near me, I'm going to rack up foul shots and that's going to help our team win. And he does it every time. Some of the numbers on Joel, I mean, it's just insane. Like a hundredth percentile in on-off splits for free throw rate, which means when he's on the court for the Sixers, they have a 29.5% free throw rate drops all the way to 18.9%, which is around league average. 
when he's off the court, but when it's him on the court, they're league best. He takes 17 free throw attempts for 100. That's ridiculous. In 33 games this season, he's only had 11 games with under 10 free throw attempts. And in six of those, he played fewer than 30 minutes. He like, and again, going back to how I loved how he just wanted to dominate the Celtics, two highest free throw performances of the season, 21 free throw attempts against the Celtics all the way back in January, and then 20 free throw attempts last night. And it's just so pleasing to see that he doesn't care what other people think. He's going to keep doing this. He's going to keep embarrassing other teams, racking up fouls on them when the Celtics try to get back in. And he did the same thing again last night. You know, Luke Cornett thought that wasn't a foul, but guess what, dude? You put your arms anywhere near Joel. His arms are going up. He's got quick reaction time. He's strong, and he knows how to draw that contact, knows how to get the refs to see it every time. And I also love, like, this isn't about the free throws, but speaking to how ruthless he was, he did the same move he did to Mo Wagner in the Wizards game where he got injured, where Wagner overplayed him to his right and Joel just drove left and punched it on him. That he did the same thing to Luke Cornett, where Luke Cornett was just sitting on his right hand, sitting on it entirely, and then just one hard jab step right, dribble, dribble, and absolutely just flushes it through the hoop. It's incredible. And I think another important thing about it is that the Sixers as we all know, do not take a ton of threes. It's never been their forte. They are 27th in three-point attempt frequency, which usually, usually you would think that's a big hindrance, and it, it can be. But the other most efficient thing that the Sixers do, I mean, the other most efficient thing that in modern basketball is getting to the foul line, and because of Joel Embiid largely, the Sixers lead the league in free throw rate. So for that week, for this, that ends this week's Danny's Corner. Joel Embiid is a ruthless foul drawing monster who will do the same move over and over again. He does not care what the other teams think about how opponents think it's cheap, about how predictable it gets. He will do it every time until they figure it out, and no one can figure it out right now. And I love it. It's inter- he he just does the same thing, and he's like you said, he's not he doesn't get bored. Like it's like when you used to play Madden and you had a play that worked every time against the computer, but you wouldn't do it every time because you're like, oh, that's not fun. Like I, I want to try. I, to do I, something I would. I ran. I ran slants down the whole field. <laughs> okay, so no, no wonder you appreciate Joel's <laughs> propensity to go to the same thing every time. Find but, find an answer, man. <laughs> yeah, uh, but I think you said this. It's like, why should I change what I'm going to do? It should be on the defense to figure out how to do to stop me like the onus should be on them like if i have something that works i'm, I'm going to keep doing it and yeah it's working so keep doing it joel so let's see what else can we touch on here the sixers later this week they will play the pelicans in well actually before that no it is the pelicans game on yeah, friday pelicans on friday yep pelicans on friday Hopefully Zion will be playing because that'll be an interesting matchup between the Sixers and the Pelicans. Just again, it's it's not like the immovable force meeting was it unstoppable force meeting the immovable object. It's more like two unstoppable forces just ramming into each other, like Joel Zion, and you could even throw like some. I guess Ben's been more stoppable lately, but specifically Joel and Zion. Joel or um Ben would be the uh, the immovable object in this scenario. I think. Sure. given his his defensive strengths um yeah do, do you think they would guard each other 
or would that be more of like a Ben assignment? I could see Ben. I think they're going to put Joel on Zion, actually, if the more I, well, they do like to start Steven Adams. So I guess it will be Ben on Zion. I mean, the other option then would also be Toby. because Toby's really strong, but you do need someone who's explosive to hang with Zion. Just not just like stay in front of him. It's just like, because it doesn't matter if Zion gets around you. If he can just get up quicker than you, you're done. So and that'll be interesting. But conversely, I mean, I don't know who Zion, Zion probably has to guard Toby just because anyone with like movement skills is a terrible matchup for Zion because he is just not quick of foot on the defensive end, nor does he have a great understanding of what he's doing out there. So like I could see Ben just blowing by him if they set a few ball screens, whereas at least Toby, he knows like this dude's just going to try and post me up and I at least like can make that point of contact pretty easily. Yeah, it would be a lot more of Tobias coming off pick and roll and doing his his little floater game in the lane. Um, I don't think they would try to post up Harris against Zion. That that wouldn't seem to be the best way to attack that. Mm-hmm, for sure. I mean, I, I still feel like the Sixers, the Pelicans have been really weird this year. I haven't caught too many of their games. I probably need to see more. It'll be good to see them for the first time. It, although it's, I mean, obviously it didn't happen last year. I do remember, I remember using, that I used to love whenever the Sixers would play the Pelicans because Joel Embiid is long, kind of owned Anthony Davis in their one-on-one matchups. So that was always a pleasant sight. Um, I mean, Steven Adams, I think Joel should be able to, I mean, Steven is, it does present some problems that he's strong enough to hang with him. They've also been playing Jackson Hayes more recently, who's a talented young player, started to put some things together, but don't know if J- Jackson would remind me of like, Mike, I could definitely see Joel and be getting someone like Jackson Hayes in foul trouble pretty quickly. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I, that would be like a pump fake and, Hayes would bite and Joel would just like mm-hmm. already start walking into the free throw line before the whistle even blew. It'll definitely be an interesting game because the Pelicans, like I don't have the stats in front of me right now, but in the past month or so, they've been like first in offense dead last or so in defense. So it should be, it'll be wild. <laughs> yeah. And they're a young team. So that's kind of to be expected. Um, offense is usually comes a little quicker for young players than figuring out a defensive scheme. Um, yeah, I feel bad for Nova guy, Josh Hart, who's now out for the season with a thumb injury. He had really been playing well. Um, and I guess we'll see if Brandon Ingram's able to suit up Friday. He's He missed his last game. He's questionable to play tonight against Brooklyn. Um, so who knows if he'll be back on the court by Friday or not. But uh, yeah, Zion did play in their last game, so I'd expect him to definitely be out there on Friday, which will be it'll be fun to get to see him. He's he's playing like everyone thought he could. Um, it looks looks tremendous, and I, I'm curious to see how the Sixers go about uh, devising a strategy for slowing him down. I'm trying to think now. One interesting thing in the game is we're so used to Matisse doing just incredible things on the defensive end of the floor when he checks in. I don't know what he does against the Pelicans necessarily because he obviously is way too wiry to guard someone like Zion. But the Pelicans' guards are not really – I mean, like Lonzo has been shooting better from three this year, but I still think he's more of a catch-and-shoot guy than a off-the-dribble shooter. Eric Bledsoe, you're usually very welcome to let him shoot. Like – could you play Matisse on Brandon Ingram or is there like 
does Ingram present limits like how tall he is with a long wingspan that Matisse can still bother him like that? It's just interesting because Matisse is such an important weapon for the Sixers on the defensive end. Yeah, I think he could guard Ingram. Uh, I don't think that would be the best matchup for him, but it's not like Ingram's a super strong guy where his height would take him down on the block and really do damage. Um, I think Matisse could hold his own in the strength department. But yeah, you're, you're right that Brandon is a very long person and shooting, he might be able to shoot over Matisse a little bit easier than most guys can. Um, but I think uh, the the chase down blocks from behind that Matisse does, that would probably still, still be able to get those um, just because the angle from coming at from behind like that, I think he could get it on the way up on Ingram's release point. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, the Pelicans have plenty of guards. You can stick Matisse on uh, Alexander Walker, you know, Kira Lewis, a lot of the, the smaller guards that Matisse might be an option to have on them too. Uh, so we'll see. Uh, that's a good thing about Matisse is he's so versatile that you can kind of stick him one through four in a lot of nights and he can fill in where you need them to mm-hmm. sticking Matisse on rookies is just straight up mean like I think it was the Cavs game that the Sixers won where like Broderick Thomas I think checked in and like first play of the game he tried to shoot for his first play and he tried to shoot a three and Matisse just jumped from like the free throw line and blocked it like <laughs> that is just going to be nightmarish that you get you come in there and you think okay I'll get some buckets show the coach what I can do and then there's this weird octopus man running around the court trying to get his hand on every basketball and one thing I just thought of one it'll be like a little interesting micro thing to watch in the Pelicans game Steven Adams is notorious for being a devastating screener and Matisse's whole thing is like he'll duck back work around the screen end up trailing this guy but he's managed to avoid the contact stay close enough that he can still do his incredible chase down blocks and like poke steals like who wins? Who wins that battle between Matisse, expert screen navigator, and Stephen Adams, the man of steel? <laughs> uh, I'm never going to go against Stephen Adams in any kind of physical well, I altercation. Think that, well, the so. point is, like, can Matisse avoid making it physical? Can Matisse get around him first but before he makes contact? It's going to be tough. Adams is, uh, as you said, a an expert in that area. He's a guy that can be a positive offensive player uh, while shooting three times a game, just because of his ability to free others and uh, his work on the glass. Um, yeah. I, that'll certainly be something interesting to watch. It, Matisse can, can get around those uh, as well as Ben, you know, Ben's going to be chasing some guys on the perimeter um, and he's, Obviously, he's a big body himself. So, although, although, just any kind of hard screen, as Faku Campazo taught us, any hard screen is. <laughs> yeah, that was that was an embarrassing moment for Ben. Um, I think I think he got fouled on that. I think he leaned in pretty hard. Do you? Uh, I think I don't Fak- know. Like Ben was running full speed. I thought, like when I was watching that Sixers game, I thought, like I generally like Campazo, but he he felt like he was almost trying to hurt Ben on some of his plays. There were other plays down the court where he was like just throwing his shoulder into him like pretty like dangerous positions. I, I thought it was a little cheap. Maybe that's just, that's just that Euro ball, you know, 
the, the get optics aren't regardless the optics are bad yeah they get a little grimy for that kind of stuff um what was i gonna say also like we were talking about matisse there just another play i remember from that celtics game last night it was i don't know if you remember this play it was either the second or first quarter i actually think it was in the first quarter like midway through boston had them in rotation and they were all closing out like the kind of play where if the celtics had finished it would have been those like basketball is beautiful clips you see where pass here pass here everyone getting like another sixer defender flying by closer they look like they're going to get an open layup out of it then matisse just running around the court tracks it down like he once smart through the dump off pass on a bounce pass like trying to get the dunk matisse got his hand in there deflected and got a steal and it's just incredible to watch how he's developed from a guy where we were starting to get a little unsure of him towards the end of his rookie year and the start of this year and then now like like Matisse around the league is just respected as one of the best defenders there is. And someone you have to know about in the scouting report is he's going to come in and just ruin your offense sometimes. He's really is incredible at everything he does on that end of the court. Um, do you think he could get a second team all defensive slot this year? It's so hard because someone people wait, like understandably they wait that like you have to play a certain amount of minutes and how much, overall impact can you have when you play less than half the game i i will say there was a great article on premiumhoops.org the other day i believe it's.org i hope i'm not getting it wrong but premium hoops where cody hudak a good friend of mine he wrote about why he he was writing this whole piece and how you should properly evaluate defense be like assigning certain plays to great plays good plays like acceptable plays and then big mistakes and basically he goes through all of that and at the end, his conclusion is that Matisse Thibel is the best perimeter defender in the NBA right now because of what he does in terms of like just he makes so many outlier great plays that really matter for a defense. Obviously, it's still like centers impact defense the most because rim protection is king. But if you're just talking about perimeter defenders, a lot of it is like, can you really disrupt the other team's offense? And Matisse is just he's a disruptor. No one wants to go near Matisse. That's yeah, it's an interesting way to look at it. Um, it seems like whenever Matisse makes one of those outlier plays, it's like, oh, a block from behind, and then suddenly the Sixers have a three on one run out. Or because he, he also he also saves them like inc- with incredible, like most guys cannot save those blocks like he does, right? Yeah, or or he'll jump a passing lane and suddenly he's he is the dunk, uh, uncontested dunk on the fast break. Uh, so they're kind of like four point swings in a yeah. lot of cases. So it's, 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 it's like a, uh, like a shutdown corner who has this pr- great propensity for getting pick six plays or something. Uh, and, and how much value that adds to your team. Um, yeah. It, but you said originally in, in our Matisse discussion that, you know, he's a guy that's on every team scouting report and that's just so rare for, you know, a bench player that teams always have to be aware of when he's coming in, where he is on the court and to have to game plan around that. Um, So that's why I think it it is possible. I think he's already kind of garnered that reputation. So even though he does play, I don't know what the number is exactly. I can probably look it up real quick, but like 22 minutes a game or whatever he plays. I would wager it's a little less than that, but regardless, it's not 24, it's less than half. Yeah, uh, I'm just gonna 
take five seconds and look it up. Okay, it's actually less than that. It's uh just over nineteen a game. Yeah, that's what I would have guessed around there. Okay, so he's playing under twenty minutes a game, but he's still he's on people's minds a lot more than any other person in the league who only plays nineteen minutes a game. Um, and I I think if you look at the advanced metrics and you do kind of the analysis like you just talked about, he will across the board come up as one of the best defenders in the league. So I'm just kind of curious how much that will play into it. And obviously, you know, being on the court is a big factor as well. So it's going to be something interesting to keep an eye on uh, in the postseason awards situations. I mean, it speaks to why the Sixers are so good. They have a guy who's in the defensive player of the year conversation, another one who could get a first or second team all defense in Joel, and then probably another one who, has rightfully earned all defensive team consideration despite being a bench player, Matisse Thibel. And then on top of that, like above average defenders in Danny Green and Tobias Harris, like, and that's six of their top seven. Yeah. And or five. Uh, we have to throw plaudits Tobias Harris's way for you just said above average defender Tobias Harris. And I said, yeah, that sounds right. Um, and I don't think past seasons anyone would have you know, made that claim. So I just think it's another area where Tobias has really improved and uh, he deserves credit for that. I mean, I'm not sure how much of that is improvement as that he's guarding what he should be doing, which is he has, he might be a little shorter than some people he guards at times, but he's like super strong. So he can hit, it's like the, how he can always handle big guys like Mark Gasol inside because he is really strong. He was just more vulnerable to quick guys, which with Al Horford on the court, he really didn't have the option of who he could guard in that sense. Now being able to guard like more physical, like guys who are interior threats, he's really good at that. So that's all fine. But yeah, Tobias has never been a 70. I think he's been fine this year. So, I mean, <laughs> it's all pretty great. Uh, what One last thing on Matisse though. Is it better that the Sixers accidentally did leak that information to the Celtics? Because I know the optics all look bad that the Sixers had to give up the 33rd pick to then go up and get Matisse. But now knowing that the trade ended up being the Sixers get Matisse, the Celtics get Grant Williams and Carson Edwards, who are both worse than Matisse Thibel, and now Celtic fans get to know they don't have Matisse, does that make it better? <laughs> so you're saying it's better because Boston fans because Boston- have, this, have this knowledge that they were in on Matisse and didn't get him, whereas if that hadn't happened, they would have just been like, oh, we took someone at 20 and somebody, someone that fell later it ended up being a better player but who knows if the team was even in on him is that what you're saying something like that but it could also be that boston fans they love knowing that they outsmarted another team they thought they did to the sixers again that night but even if they did it really didn't work out for them because i mean sure maybe the sixers could have picked someone else besides carson edwards at 33 would have helped them but like the celtics ended up with a guy who i think grant williams is good but he's not as good as matisse he's so far just a bench big you can occasionally throw in there Carson Edwards has just not gotten to it yet. And Matisse is, like you're saying, already deserving of all defense considerations in his second year. And that's the guy the Sixers got instead of the Celtics. Yeah, I'm still going to say that it wasn't a good thing that that got telegraphed. I think it it would have been better if they just took Matisse at 24 and still kept the second round pick. Well, I don't think it's a bad thing. I think anymore. I think it's just a neutral thing. 
We'll just go neutral. Okay. All right. It's it's been upgraded to neutral in your mind. Yeah. I, I I think I think Matisse turning out to be as good as he's been just makes up for the fact that it was a really stupid thing to happen. Yeah, it's like that that's an acceptable mistake now. Acceptable. Because we still got they still got a, a net positive for their team. All right. I'm I'm not gonna agree with you on this one, but <laughs> it's like a I, I, I do agree that Matisse is a great player and I it's love that. It's a galaxy him on the brain team. take. I'm just trying to figure out more ways <laughs> can, like there are just tally up all the things in which the Sixers have now bested the Celtics. We we have enough. They they swept the season series. Boston is under five hundred. Uh, there's all these Brad Stevens going back to college rumors. Uh, there's there's enough things tilting the Sixers way in this rivalry right now. I don't think we need to relitigate the fact that telegraphing your pick in the draft is dumb. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Uh, well, Sean, I think that's going to wrap it up for us this week. Uh, Hope you have a safe drive down to North Carolina, man, and a good break. Um, and yeah, it was good talking to you again this week. Yep, good talking to you. Hopefully the Sixers can rack up a few more wins uh, in my absence from the site this week and everybody stays healthy and we'll come back at it next week and see if the Sixers and can kind of hold off Brooklyn. And that's going to be the, the storyline the rest of the season is them uh, flip-flopping at the top of the conference. Seth, if you're listening, prove Sean Ron and win that bell ringer. <laughs> do it. I'm not saying I didn't say he no. couldn't do it. No, Sean, I hope he does. Lies, lies. Sean has said that he couldn't do it. All right. Yeah, I hope he does. Go do it, Seth. All right. See you next week, people. Hi, I'm Neil Patel, host of Decoder, my show about big ideas and other problems. Right now on Decoder, we're doing a mini-series about one of the biggest ideas that's creating some of the biggest problems around, generative AI. Our series dives deep into some of the most pressing issues surrounding generative AI, with expert Verge reporters covering the cutting-edge frontier of the industry. How could copyright lawsuits completely upend large language models and image generators? How big a problem is AI-generated misinformation for the 2024 election? And what kind of impact are AI chatbots having on human relationships? Decoder's AI series will help you understand what's going on, why, and where it might go from here. Tune in every Monday and Thursday for new episodes of Decoder, wherever you get your podcasts. Support for this podcast comes from Smartwater. Want to get a little more from every sip? Smart Water Alkaline doesn't just taste crisp and pure. It's loaded with everything you need to perform at your best, whether you're running marathons or boardroom meetings. Elevate how you hydrate and pick up a Smart Water Alkaline today. To learn more, visit drinksmartwater.com.